Good evening, everybody. Welcome to episode of Living Light Outdoors. On the mic with you, it's story time. It's Saturday. Man, it seems like it was forever ago that we started this chapter. Uh, man, I got to looking at it and thinking, holy cow, how long has it been since I recorded? It was just a week ago. It's been a very long week. Had a lot of things going on. We want to finish understanding spiritual gates. Uh, this is, uh, I believe, chapter 10 or wherever we're at in the Epic Battles of the Last Days by Rick Joyner. And we've been talking about... Uh, the Crusades. Remember, it was it was talking about the Crusades. If need be, you need to go back and listen to last week's uh, and, and really put these two together. There's a lot of history, a lot of mispronunciation, because there's a lot of stuff in here I don't know how to say, but there's lots and lots of history in this. Rhonda is a history buff. She loves history. Uh, she's going to actually read this chapter because it just there's just, just so much uh, history involved here with Christendom. The Crusades and Cologne, that's where we left off last week, so that's where we're going to begin. The Crusades and Cologne. At the end of April of 1096, Peter and his army marched from Cologne. They arrived in Constantinople on August 1st. Since an army of that size, which was also escorted by women and children, had to be fed and provided for, and because there was very little discipline, they left a wide trail of pillage and destruction. Soon they became odious even to the Christian cities where they were supposedly marching to protect. Most of the first crusade had little or no military experience, and so it was recommended that they wait in Constantinople for the better trained army of knights that was being prepared in Europe. However, because of the rising strife between the crusaders and the local population, it was decided that the army should march from Constantinople as quickly as possible. They left on October 21st, and they were quickly defeated by the Turks at Siviat. The entire army of 30,000, including the women and children, were killed. Only Peter and a few knights survived the massacre and escaped back to Constantinople. Gottfried of Bouillon departed from Lower Lothringen in 1096 at about the same time that Peter of Amiens was arriving in Constantinople. After marching for weeks along the Rhine and the Dunab, uh, the Dunabi River, he finally reached Constantinople at Christmas. By the most conservative estimates, his army numbered no less than 600,000. Peter, who had survived the battle against the Turks, joined him and took the lead of the new farmer's army. At the end of April 1097, the crusaders set off from Pelicanum near Constantinople, and they crossed the Bosporus in October and besieged Antioch, which fell eight months later on June 3rd. Defeat in victory. On January 13th of 1099, the army started for Jerusalem and came to the city on June 7th. At midday on Friday, July 15th, the holy city fell. It is a biblical truth that many of God's victories look like defeats to the natural man, the cross being the greatest example of this. When Jerusalem fell to the Christians, what may have appeared in the natural a great victory for the church would live in infamy as one of her greatest defeats. The Muslim mayor had been relatively tolerant with all of the citizens, including the Christians and Jews. He allowed them their own places of worship and freedom to come and go as they pleased. He even allowed the Christian in Jerusalem to go over to the side of the crusaders during the siege. When it was obvious that the Christians would prevail, the mayor and his subjects likewise expected a high degree of chivalry from their conquerors. They were terribly mistaken. Many had gathered under a Christian banner where they had been promised amnesty. The crusaders, thus having them surrounded, slaughtered them all. The Jews of the city fled to the synagogue, 
Having them trapped inside, the Crusaders torched the building, killing all of its inhabitants in a gruesome spectacle. This was a deliberate strategy to eradicate all non-Christians so that Jerusalem could become a Christian city. The triumphant Crusaders, many completely covered in blood of their victims, then gathered at the Holy Sepulchre. Weeping with joy, they offered thanksgiving for their great victory. Over 50,000 Saracens alone were killed in this terrible massacre. Gottfried of Bouillon, the first Christian sovereign and primary instigator of the massacre, died one year later on July 18, 1100. King Baldian the first became his successor. The kingdom of Jerusalem existed for 87 years until the empire was conquered by the Muslim king Saladin. Crusaders repeatedly marched for the next 200 years, but they never managed to retake Jerusalem. Many of the leaders of the church during this time were appalled at all the atrocities of the Crusaders. Some even demanded that the most responsible, uh, that those responsible for them should be ex- excommunicated. There were many noble and courageous souls who participated in the Crusades. Some were obviously motivated by a sincere desire to recover the honor of the name of the Lord in Jerusalem. Even so, regardless of how noble their motives may be, whenever we use methods that are contrary to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, evil will be the result. From their beginning to their end, the Crusades released some of the most evil forces, philosophies, and theologies into the world. Their fruit has been that countless millions have been separated from the gospel by the huge barriers which these events erected between peoples. The evil strongholds empowered by these misguided tragedies must be addressed for the gospel to be freely released in some of the most strategic regions of the world. The Spiritual History of Communism On July 23rd of 1164, Archbishop Reinald of Dassel brought that they were supposedly the bones of the three wise men to Cologne. Emperor Fredericks Barbosa had given them to the city as a reward for their archbishop's loyalty. In 1181, the golden coffin made to contain them was completed, which can still be seen in Cologne today. Consequently, many pilgrims from all over the Western world came to the city to venerate the golden shrine and the bones. As the crowd of pilgrims became more numerous, a a larger cathedral became necessary. On August 15th of 1248, the foundation of Cologne Cathedral was laid in its place as honor for the bones of the three wise men. The building of this great cathedral continued for over 300 years until it was abruptly stopped. In a remarkable legend recorded in the city's history, it is said that the master builder had to make a pact with the devil to complete the project. The pact stated that an aqueduct had to be built from the city of Trier to Cologne before he would allow the cathedral to be finished. This was so that water could flow from Satan's throne just as it did from the throne of God. This would be a river of death that would ultimately eclipse all of the previous rivers of death that had originated from Cologne, resulting in an estimated 100 million killed in the 20th century alone. Amazingly, the work of the cathedral was stopped from 1560 until 1842. In 1818, Karl Marx, the founder of socialism and the world's most powerful atheistic system, was born in Trier. In 1842, he moved from Trier to Cologne, and work on the cathedral began again. It was finally completed in 1880. This was no coincidence. The pact with the devil had been honored. From 1842 until 1843, Karl Marx was the chief editor of the Renaissance Zudeneg newspaper published in Cologne. In 1848, he became its publisher. It was from this position that he printed the Communist Manifesto. 
On May 6th of 1849, his communist broadsheets were thrown into the crowd assembled at the Gerzenich Hall in Cologne. This marked the birth of communist movement led by Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. Other powerful leaders of this new movement begun in Cologne included Ferdinand Lasalle, Andreas Gottschalk, Matilda Frank Franziska Anek. Hard to say all this stuff. Shutting the Gates of Hell. As the birthplace of the mother, the first Roman persecutor of the church, the Crusades, the Christian persecution of the Jews, and then communism, Cologne has been the womb of the greatest human tragedies in history. However, the way that the Lord shuts the gates of hell is to open a door in heaven. Light is more powerful than darkness. When you open your shades at night, darkness does not come in. Light shines out into the dark. The Lord's strategy for Cologne is to open a window from heaven there, to make it a testimony of his power of redemption. The Lord will raise up new armies of crusaders from Cologne and Germany with weapons that are not carnal but spiritual. They will bring life and healing to all the places where they once brought death and destruction. The Lord always overcomes evil with good. It is interesting that Robert Blum and, and Moses Hess also started their careers in Cologne. Just as the construction of the cathedral was being completed, they are considered by many to be the modern founders of Zionism. Just as the enemy has been so successful in sowing tares in the Lord's wheat fields, the Lord often sows wheat in the enemy's fields of tares. The city where most deadly persecution of the Jews originated is also regarded as a birthplace of the movement that resulted in the establishment of the modern state of Israel. Moses Hess actually followed Karl Marx as an editor of the Rhenich Zutnig newspaper in Cologne, where he published a pamphlet called Rome and Jerusalem, the final question of nationality, in the 1860s. Later, Dr. Bodenheimer of Cologne, who was one of the three major founders of Zionism, wrote his poem, Vision, in 1891, which prophetically described the future establishment of Israel. He began to correspond with Dr. Theodore Hurls in 1896, the year that Hurls wrote his landmark book, The Jewish State. Cologne then became a home of the global Zionist movement and the Jewish National Foundation, which began to purchase property in Palestine. When Hurls died in 1904, David Wolfson of Cologne succeeded him as the head of the Zionist movement, keeping its headquarters in Cologne. It is also interesting to note that after Wolfson died and Bodenheimer retired, Wiseman took over the organization and moved its headquarters to London. This also followed the work of Karl Marx, who, having been expelled by the Prussian government, had moved his headquarters to London. It was nearly five centuries before this that the William Tyndale, the famous English reformer, was expelled from London and went to Cologne. It was Tyndale who first translated the scriptures into the common language, and it is called the Morning Star of the Reformation. He actually had his first Bibles printed in Cologne. Wow, what what incredible history! There's there's so many things here that um, uh, the the research that goes into these. There, there's so many dates and so many uh, thoughts that come into this. The gates of hell and the doors of heaven. I, I love the description of how uh, when when there is a gate of hell opened or or, or shut, there's a window of heaven opened. Uh, what a what a beautiful thought. God's on the move. I mean, understanding these spiritual gates, understanding this history um, is, is, is crucial to how we fight this battle that God has us in today. Uh, and, and we are here to fight this battle. 
Uh, we'll start into chapter 11 next week when heaven and hell collide. What a powerful thought that's going to be. But think about this, understanding spiritual gates, understanding the boundaries, understanding uh, the, the crusades the, the, and how they all developed and what all came of all that. And yet all in the midst of the darkness, all in the midst of, of all of the what appears to be defeat, God raises up a victory. Uh, even in the midst of all of that, the, the, the very first scriptures to be penned into where we could read them came. Uh, the very first Bibles came out of the same city that all this evil produced from. Uh, God has, a, a, in my opinion, a sense of humor with how he goes about some things at times. And, and oftentimes this is what we need to understand. He's still in charge. It doesn't matter what appears as we see it. Uh, God is still in control and will continue to be in control. We're in his timing. We're in his time frame. Uh, all we have to do is, is learn to see and learn to hear. Uh, what a beautiful time we're in. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you for following our podcast. Thank you for following this ministry and supporting our ministry. Thank you for praying for us. We desperately uh, covet your prayers as we continue to seek out that which is lost so that it may be found. Amen. God bless you guys. Rhonda and I love you. We're praying for you. We'll talk to you again real soon.